Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're going to jump in and uh, I want to talk about this period that we're in now in the year because I think this is a very, uh, a very strong period and, um, and uh, I want to make sure that, that we're, we're using the opportunities that are presented before us uh, properly. And of course I'm speaking to myself uh, as well and, and, and just, uh, just to sort of know where we're at right now. Um, and it's a period of time that I haven't heard spoken about so much, so I'm sort of excited to, to kind of like try to uh, be a little bit of a spiritual cartographer, if that's how you say it. I mean map maker, but um, anyway, uh, and just kind of like chart out the region a little bit because, um, because, because it's, kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool period. Uh, we just finished Shavuos. So right now, this, this, this chunk of the calendar right now is the period between Shavuos, which of course is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and the 17th of Tammuz, which is 40 days after the giving of the Torah, when um, the golden calf was worshipped. And when Moshe saw that, uh, God told him to go down from the mountain, and Moshe broke the tablets, the luchos. So there's a 40-day period in between there. Now, like I say, it's not, it's not so widely discussed what that 40-day period was. Okay, usually we say, in the same breath, the Torah was given, and then 40 days later, the golden calf was worshipped. You know, it's sort of like all in one breath. But wait a second, what about that 40 days? That 40 days is a very intense period of time. What, what happened during that? Or what didn't happen during that? Or what was supposed to happen during that? Or what, we, what can we do now, in, in that time now? Because it's sort of like, um, the amazing thing about the, the calendar is that it's, it's new and it's old at the same time. Meaning to say that um, the months all have a different flavor. And the different periods of the calendar all have a different flavor. But within that flavor, it's always like a new combination. So, you know what I mean? It's sort of like um, you're in Paris and then you're in Rome, but, you know, what's going on in Paris and Rome are different things, but it's taking place in Paris or Rome, you know? So, so in other words, it's good to know where you're at, but then it's always going to be new. You know, old and new together, um, which is a huge theme. That's a huge theme, by the way, in Torah and in, in life. Um, you know, two, two quick things on that, and then we'll get back to the subject. I, I heard Reb Shlomo say that, um, you know, an explanation, a beautiful explanation, I thought, of dipping your challah, when you eat challah on Shabbos, you dip it in salt, if, 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 if you're familiar with that. So, so what he said was that, you know, salt is a preservative. By the way, if you know anything about the history of salt... The history of salt actually has... Someone wrote a book about it a few years back. Um, salt used to be a, a hugely valuable commodity. And they'd, um, because this was before refrigeration. And in order p- to preserve meat and things like that, you needed to put salt on it. So, so salt, was, salt was major. And it cost a lot of money. It was like gold. It was actually like gold, believe it or not. Um, now we, you know, salt is like the cheapest thing in the world. Like you couldn't even imagine like it being like gold. In fact, they make the fanciest, fanciest um, silver containers for salt. Not just like salt shakers, but more like like treasure boxes for for salt. Um, anyway, so salt is a preservative. In fact, believe it or not, the Torah even compares the mitzvahs to salt. You know, so salt is a preservative. It 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 it, it remains. It, it allows things to remain forever, so to speak. Okay. But bread is only good when it's fresh. You know, like even if you go into a, a bakery, they've got the day old bread section, right? As soon as it gets like a little bit old, you know, already it's it's got like a different status. You know. Um. By the way, day old bread. Nothing bad with day old bread. You put it in the toaster and. So it's all good. Um, I'll tell you something else. Matzah. Sometimes you have some matzah and it's a little soggy. Put it in the oven for like 
just not even too long, and it will get crispy and delicious. You know, that's a little Cholomoy Pesach tip there. <laughs> um, make a total difference. Really, you can transform a piece of matzah just by putting it in the oven for like a very short period of time. Okay, so, um, so anyway, new and old at the same time. Bread has to be new, but you dip it in salt because it's got to be old too. In other words, your Torah, your Judaism, you've got to make it fresh, it's got to be new, it's got to be alive, but it's got to be that one that we got from our holy fathers and mothers. Right? New and old at the same time. Okay? So that's the entire, that's the entire calendar, by the way. And then also, very, very quickly, I won't go through the whole uh, depth of it, but just, just so you know, Yitzchak, our holy father Isaac, was redigging the wells of Abraham. Says Abraham dug all these wells and then they got plugged up by the Plishtim. And then Yitzchak, the son of Abraham, went and redug the same wells. So, in other words, that's the same idea again. You're, you're making it new. You're making the breakthrough, but you're making through the breakthrough with your father's wells. Right? So it's yours, but it's his, but it's yours. It's new, but it's old, but it's new. So, all these things simultaneously. Okay. So, that's the way it is in terms of the entire calendar. There all the different months, all the different periods of the year have their personality. But, it's always going to be new. It's always going to be new. Okay. It, uh, there's a phrase that a, a friend used one time that I really liked. He, he, he called, uh, he referred to, well, he didn't call it reality, but it, I guess it is reality, life, as you're always in the unprecedented present, right? Because as much as you can see maybe a pattern, but at the same time, it's new. Like, this moment that's happening right now never happened before. It's unprecedented, right? So, but then again, it's based on all the periods of time that have gone before. So, a pattern can be perceived. So, anyway, with that as an introduction, I want to return to this period of time, which which I mentioned is, is something that I haven't heard commented on so much, and it's where we are right now, which is the period between the giving of the Torah and the worship of the golden calf, the breaking of the, the tablets. Those are one and the same thing. And um, just as an aside, we, all the commentators say that we didn't really worship the golden calf. We never actually thought that the golden calf was God. But we thought that Moshe Rabbeinu had kind of basically gone up into heaven and wasn't coming back down. And we'll get into that a little bit more. And so we felt as though we needed a leader or an intermediary. But God says you don't need an intermediary. You have a direct connection with, with God, and that's what it is. You don't need an intermediary. But we sort of like looked at Moshe, not just as a teacher, but as the one who we go through to get to God on some level, on some level. And so we substituted him with this golden calf. But we never thought the golden calf was God. And, and it's a lesson to us that, that we've got this direct, direct connection. We don't need any intermediaries. It's the, really the greatness of the vision of the Torah there. Um, but let's keep on going. So the challenge is for us to take the light of Shavuos, which is the highest, highest place, which is the period before Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, and to take that light and to bring it, to bring it into the world to fix. Okay. So, there is a period that isn't that widely discussed, which is the period before Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge. We tend to think of the beginning of that story as the snake coming to Chava and tempting Adam and Chava, and then all of a sudden everything falls apart. But there's a period before that which is very, very significant. And I heard Rev Shlomo say something so great, because when we say Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, what we usually mean is total paradise, right? Complete bliss. So I heard Rev Shlomo say something very provocative. He said, if it was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? Right? Because the snake was there before we ate from the tree. So if everything was so perfect, what's the snake doing there? Okay? Not only that. Not only that, but even on a more meat and potatoes level, we've got another issue. And that issue is the fact that Adam was given two commandments. 
to work the garden and to guard the garden, which in miniature was all the positive commandments and negative commandments. They said in those two commandments, to work and guard the garden represented the entire Torah. All 613 commandments were contained in those two, a positive and a negative. So again, this is before the snake episode. This is before they ate from the tree of knowledge. Adam had work to do. Why is this so important? Because we think of paradise as no work. What is paradise? Define paradise. All of my needs are taken care of for me. I don't have to exert myself at all. Oh yeah, you know when everything went wrong? You know when we had to... to, Because one of the curses of Adam, right? Is that he has to make his living from the... You know, the, from tears or the sweat of his brow, however you want to translate it. Right? That's when everything went wrong. Before then, everything was great. You see here that the premise is wrong. The premise is wrong. We had to work even before the whole incident with the snake. We're born into a work session. Do you hear the proof? Even in the context of paradise, the best, best, best case scenario is a great work environment. Right? What's the ideal situation? Not a vacation. The ideal situation is an ideal work environment. That's a very, that's a very surprising formulation. I mean, it's consistent with what we've been saying all along. But we're so educated and brainwashed into thinking that this world is a whole vacation opportunity. And to the extent that this person is messing up my vacation plans, right? By evicting me from my apartment, or whatever it is. How dare he? But when we realize, oh, okay. It's not so much that. So... So now this 40-day period between Shavuos and the worshipping of the golden calf, the breaking of the luchos, this 40-day period where everything is going right, and like we were saying that after Shavuos, when we're at the Shara Hamishim, the level of the 50th gate, and we're always reading Parshas Naso afterwards, which begins with the letter Nun, which means 50, Nun is 50, meaning that we stay at this level for this period of time for these 40 days, That's where we are right now. It's a very special, very special period, very special opportunity. Okay, so so what does it mean? What it means is, is that we have to live with God. Now, you know, sort of the official name of this, this ongoing series of talks is Living with God, Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. And I've shared with you where that, where that name comes from. And it's something that I heard from Rabbi Green. And he said that basically you go to movies, like romance movies, and the classic structure of a romance movie is that boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl in the end. Okay, that's, they're all variations of that. Okay? So, so and then the movie ends. And uh, Rabbi Green said, you know, when the curtain goes down on the movie, he, when the boy finally gets the girl back, right? He said, that's when, I, that's when I'm most interested <laughs> It's like, what happens then? What happens then? How do we live with each other then? You know, because the thing is, is that we have God, and God has us. Now what? Now what? As long as we're alive, we're in that relationship with God. We've got God, and God has us. But the question is, now what? And this is the phenomenal challenge and opportunity of what goes on between Shavuos and 40 days later, when it all goes south, is that we're at this level of the Shara Hamishim, the 50th gate, this level of this period before Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, before then, but you see, there are expectations of us. It's still a work session. It's still a work session. 
And then at a period of time, you see, it's not discussed so much, but when Moshe was going to come down after 40 days with the tablets intact, okay, that in itself was going to be like a holiday. And that would have been the final sealing of the deal, so to speak. In other words, we still got the Torah, 100%. We're still chayav, we're still obligated in the mitzvahs, 100%. But nonetheless, there was a final bit of closure that, that, that didn't take place. And that would have been really the, the final fixing of everything. And that would have been the arrival of Mashiach, really. That would have been the final, final fixing. So what that means is, the fact that that, that that sealing of the deal didn't happen when we reached this level of the 50th gate means that there's an expectation from heaven for us to actually live at that state for a while. Now, Adam and Chava weren't able to do it because they were created and several hours later they were already going against God's will and eating from the tree of knowledge. So, Staying on those, like, really heavenly great terms, it's very challenging. It's very, very challenging. This idea of living with God, it's very, very challenging. So it sounds like, well, what are you saying then? You're saying that I have to be perfect. God is asking me to be perfect for a period of time. And that's not quite right. It's not exactly what we're saying. Because remember, we have to revisit one of the absolute fundamental Torahs, which is, at what stage did Adam and Chava actually get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? So you would tell me it's after they ate from the Tree of Knowledge. Right? But that's not what it says. It's actually not what it says at all. If you look, what happened was, they ate from the Tree of Knowledge, and then they heard God's footsteps, right? Like, by the way, you should know, not that God has feet, but he was alerting them that he was present. That was his way of alerting them that he's present. By the way, you should just know something. It's on a very practical level. When you enter into your house, you're supposed to knock on the door first. Even if it's your house. Even if you have a key. You have to alert the people inside that you're entering the house. Okay? Just, it's a bit of practical lacha. On that, on that, on that uh, same subject, by the way, if it's your house, you enter into your house first. So you might think, oh, I'm here with a few guests, it's very nice, I'm opening up the door, let them go in first. No, you walk in first. Okay? Just, this is the Torah way. Because there could be someone who's maybe uh, in their pajamas still. Or whatever it is. Some variation of this. You know, and it gives whoever's in the house just a moment to reset, basically. So it's a, it's a courtesy. It's a courtesy. And that's the same idea of you walking in first. You know, you... It's not like, oh, it's my house, I, I walk in first. That's, that's not the idea. So it's a level of respect for the people who are inside the house. So, um, anyway, Hashem alerts Adam and Chava, so to speak, by allowing them to hear a footsteps, quote-unquote, that, that he's present. He's alerting them, that they have an opportunity, basically, to interact with God. And remember, let's revisit what, where we're at right now. When did Adam and Chava actually get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Not after they ate from the Tree of Knowledge. So they go and they hide after they hear God's footsteps and then God realizes they're not taking the opportunity to, you know, to, to interact with Him first. So then He, he furthers the, 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 the effort to connect. And Hashem says, um, you, know, you know, where are you? Right? Ayeka, the famous Ayeka, which is like Eicha, you know? And, uh, of course he knows where they are. He's God. He knows where they are. But again, he's giving them an opportunity to, to connect. 
And then what happens? Instead of them saying, I made a mistake, I'm sorry God, they blame each other. And then God says, okay, out you go. Out you go. So, so God isn't asking us to be perfect. That's the point. And the point is, is that, oh, I made a mistake. I was holding at this level of the 50 and I made a mistake and now I, I'm booted. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. It's, oh, God, man, I, sorry, keep on doing that. Sorry. I know, I know this is not the first time, it's not even the tenth time, it's the hundredth time. I'm sorry. I want to get better at that. I want to get better at that. Please, God, help me get better at that because I'm really trying. I'm really trying. That's all God is asking. Not for perfection, but for that level of effort and connectedness. That's what He wants. That's what He wants. So, so we'll, just, we'll just wrap it up. And um, and we're lucky. We're really, really lucky. You know, I heard a definition of exile. That exile is thinking, you know what? Because yesterday was a certain way, and because today is the same way as yesterday was, tomorrow is going to be like today. And tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. That's the definition of exile. Heard that from Reb Shlomo. It's the definition of exile. Tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow is another day. And uh, Hashem should help us that that we should take all of the strength and all of the light. That we got the Shavuos, this Parshas Naso, which contains the priestly blessing, right? And to use it to go out and fix. Just close with one, one thing I heard uh, Mayor Sabo say, Rabbi Sabo, over Shalosh uh, Shudis yesterday, something special. He says, it, it says... The Talmud teaches that, that the voice, the call of Torah, the, the, the calling out from Mount Sinai, never stops. It goes out every single day. So he says, but who hears it? Right? No one actually hears it. Maybe if you're great and holy, maybe you hear it, but for basically everyone else, no one actually hears it, right? So he says in the name of the Rebbe, something very interesting. He says, if God actually is doing that, and he created a heavenly system where it's actually going on, and God, nothing's hard for God, but if God, so to speak, is exerting effort, so to speak, to make that voice from Sinai go out every single day, and no one hears it, and no one's been hearing it, then why is he doing it? Right? So here's another example. If you want to refute something, you don't have to give a good answer. You can refute the premise itself. What's, what's the premise? The premise is that no one hears it. He says, it just goes to show you we do hear it. <laughs> we actually do hear it. On a soul level, we're hearing it. Every time we decide, you know something? I'm not going to do that thing which I'm not supposed to do. Or, I do want to do that thing. That I do, that, that's a good thing to do. I'll check out that class, I'll say hello to that person, I'll go repay that debt, whatever it is. I'll do that thing. That's your neshama hearing the call from Mount Sinai. That's what it is. So, so, so we do hear it. We do hear it. And that's the good news. And we never stop hearing it, by the way. You know, I shared with you, in the name of Rav Cook, the soul never stops praying. The, the soul is in a constant state of prayer. Not only that, but one last thing, very fast. You know, I got a whole new take this morning about what it means that an angel is teaching us inside of our mother's wombs before we come into the world, the entire Torah. Right? So, you can take it at face value. 
It works for me at face value. You're sitting by candlelight inside the womb and you're learning the entire Torah. I love that just the way it is. You know, that's the Gomorrah Nita, by the way. But maybe, maybe it's saying something else also. Maybe what it's saying is that is that you are made out of Torah. That inside the womb, because we know that everyone has 248, it's either limbs or sinews, and 365 of the other thing, right? That everyone is organized anatomically, in the, like every bone and, and muscle and fiber correlates with another one of the 613 mitzvahs. So maybe what it means when it says that you're learning Torah in the womb is that you should know you are made out of Torah. You're literally made out of Torah. So now we just have to go out and do it. You know, I have a bit of a problem with the yeshivas today. Maybe not all of them, but certainly some of them. And my problem is, is that it's like they're teaching you how to play baseball day and night, but then they don't take you out to the baseball field. (laughs) You know, the whole point is you have to, this whole life is interacting with God, but they're just, they're giving you all the knowledge, but what about the, what about the interpersonal skills, so to speak? What about the relationship skills with God, right? So, so the nice thing is that all of us are on the playing field. We're all on the playing field, you know? It's, it's a terrible thing to just sit on the bench, you know? And you might think you're on the bench, but you know what? The bench is also on the playing field. You know, I, I think I said at one time, you can be hiding under your bed. I don't want to leave my room, much less my house. I'm hiding under my bed. Guess what? That's also on the playing field. You're a starter. You're on the starting team, wherever you are, wherever you are. And that's the good news. And God just says, just try. You mess up, say, let me try again. And that's what it is. Okay, guys, have a great week. So just just one last thought, which is that if while we're inside the womb, I'm suggesting that we're made out of Torah, because we're, everyone knows that there's this correlation between the 613 body parts and the 613 commandments. And yet, we also say that every single person is a letter in the Torah. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, with that in mind, think of it this way, that when you look at each letter in the Torah, and just one more step, we know that if the Torah is missing one letter, then the Torah is not kosher. So that means that on some level, every single letter of the Torah contains all 613 commandments. In other words, every single letter of the Torah has to contain the entire Torah because if one letter of the Torah is missing, the entire Torah is no good. Right? So each one of us in the womb, we're simultaneously a letter in the Torah, but we're made out of the entire Torah. So, so... So, um, Ari was pointing out that, that, that the Torah is compared to a tree. Because we say, Eitz Chaim He, when we, when we put it back, that it's a tree of life. The Torah itself is a tree of life. And um, the commentators say that it's sort of like a tree, we're like an upside down tree. So, how does that work? Because the roots are up in heaven, right? But then... We come down into this world. The branch, you know, the actual trunk of the tree is us in this world, but our roots are up in heaven. But now let's apply that same imagery in another way. That long, you know, um, the main part of the tree, that's the letter. That's you. That's your letter. But your roots are all 613 sinews and limbs, right? So, so that's the entire Torah contained within you, which is a letter. And that's the shape of the Eitz Chaim, which is actually the Torah, which is actually you. 
Okay. Well, and his the roots are not in the ground, they're in the Shemaim, right? Because it's going through Right, Shemaim right, the roots there. are in heaven. That's, uh, that's 100% and, right. And, and interestingly enough, the word Shemaim contains the word Maim in it. Or you can uh, look at Shemaim as Sham Yam, like there's the sea, there's the water, you know, uh, just a thought. Anyway, yeah. but I wanted to ask... I am ready. So then what were we doing exactly during those 40 days? So, so the first thing that we have to understand is that... Uh, the first thing that we have to understand is let's, 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 we, know, we know what happened. We actually know what happened. Okay? So let's, let's just take a deep breath <laughs> and look at what the sources say. The Torah was given, the Torah was given at Parshas Yisra. And then the Parsha that describes exactly what happened after the Torah was given is Parshas Mishpatim. So if we look in Parshas Mishpatim, it picks up on the timeline what happened right now during this period of our lives, okay? So the very first thing that happens is, and I heard this from Reb Shlomo, remember, the Torah was given at dawn on Shabbos. So what happened was, after the revelation of the Torah, we went back to our tents. Now this is also something very interesting, you know? You see, there are some religions that say that when you... If you want to seek a level of holiness in your life, that the first thing that you have to do is you have to, man and wife have to separate. And they have to remain separate. In other words, don't get married. Right? So, because you're too holy for that. That's totally antithetical to the Torah. Torah doesn't hold that way at all. In fact, what it says is, after the Torah is given, God says, go back to your tent which the rabbis say is a very delicate way of saying resume relations, husband and wife together. Okay? So in other words, don't get it into your mind that it's like, oh my goodness, I just received the Torah. I'm, I'm too holy to do that. Whatever it is. That's not Torah. That's not reality. Reality is, is that that's part of the beauty of the world. That's part of the beauty of life. Okay? But of course, you, we do it in a sanctified way. Okay. So that's... That's, that's the first thing. Then they made Kiddush. And that's the whole idea that what we want to do is we want to take heaven and bring it down to earth. We want to take spirituality and we want to do it in a real way. We want to do it in a real way. Okay. So, but now here's the real, here's the real amazing thing. We start learning the halachas of the Hebrew slave afterwards. And everyone's, because if you look at Parshas Mishpatim, again, which happens right after Parshas Yisra, which is the giving of the Torah, the very first halacha is, if a Jew steals and he's not able to repay his debt, he has to go into the state of servitude. But, you know, slavery in the Torah is not slavery in the South, right? It wasn't like whipping and deprivation and horribleness. Right? I mean, it was not the ideal set of circumstances, obviously. But the Talmud is very clear about what it meant to be a Jewish slave or to own a Jewish slave. And they give the very famous example is if there's only one pillow Mm -hmm. between the master and the slave, that the master has to give the pillow to the slave. Mm -hmm. And it even goes as far as to saying one who takes on a slave takes on a master. Because the obligations to the slave were so intense, he had to eat the same food as the master. Wow, that's, that in itself is a mind blower, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can say, oh, I'm fine to sleep without a pillow. It's good for my back. <laughs> but he gets, he gets a ribeye, just like I get a ribeye? Well, wait a second. That's all right. No, that's a little more challenging for me, you know? Um, so someone, I heard someone say one time, I haven't got his, this is not official, but just to give you an idea, someone compared it more to a halfway house kind of setting than what our classic notions of slavery are. But anyway, let's get deeper, let's get deeper. Everyone wants to know, what's going on? You just gave the Torah God. You can be talking about anything. What's the first halacha you're going to teach us? It could be anything. The laws of someone who's stolen, who can't repay his debt? That's what you're teaching me? So I heard Reb Shlomo say in the name of the Zohar something so fabulous and intense. He said that, um, 
He said that when Adam and Chava, okay, we're back in the Garden of Eden now, right? Because that's the whole point. During this 40 days after the giving of the Torah Shavuos, we're in that exalted place of the 50th level, okay? When Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, it was on the level of stealing because they were told not to do it. Mm -hmm. And they took what they weren't supposed to take, which is stealing. So why are we learning about the Hebrew slave, which is about someone stealing who can't repay their debt? Mm. Because God was bringing us back to the place of fixing the chet of Adam and Chava. Mm. Right away. It's like an express stop right to that point in time. So instead of it sounding like, oh, it's like a total random, obscure halacha that you're teaching us, God. No! The opposite. We're revisiting the scene of the crime immediately in order to make a fixing. Okay? Which suggests also that um, as much as we say that we return to the state of Adam and Chava before the Chet, so it sounds like a steady state. Nonetheless, here you see that we're using that energy of Shavuos to go out and fix, even within the context of Mount Sinai, by learning those laws of the Hebrew slave, we're already getting them and applying them to fixing. You understand? So even within that state of the 50, we're going up. So you say, well, you can't go up from 50. But the idea is that God is infinite. So even though it would be technically still the level of 50, nonetheless, there are levels within it so that you can go up and up and up. Because God is infinite. So the 50th gate has to be infinite too. Okay, so now, this is something that, that, that uh, came to me, and I'm sure, it's, uh, I'm sure it's been said. I'm sure it's been said many times, but, but, uh, but, but I haven't seen it. So, All right, now listen. I'm reading you from Parshas Mishpatim. Mm-hmm. Now remember, this is what we're learning right after the Garden of Eden. And these are the ordinances that you should place before them. If you buy a Jewish bondsman, see, the art scroll here doesn't even want to use the word slave because they know that you'll be misled by that word. He shall work for six years, and in the seventh he shall go free for no charge. Now, like I say, when you hear this, you're going to go, oh, of course, it's going to sound so obvious, but it hit me like a thunderbolt, and I'm sure, I'm sure the commentators have said this already. We know that in terms of, we know in terms of the creation of the world, we have a theory. It's, it's, it's brought out, not a theory, but we have a, a, a chazal, a teaching from the sages, that this world will last for 6,000 years, and the 7,000th year will be this period, this messianic period, and then there will be the resurrection of the dead. And then this whole reality will transform into this very supernatural reality. Okay? So, so, so the Ramban says, and I'm think, I think he's drawing from older sources, but the Ramban says it for sure in the beginning of the Chumash, that each of the six days of creation correlates with a thousand years. And the seventh day of creation, which was Shabbos, correlates with this messianic period, right? Which is going to be, that's why we call, we call Olam Aba, the world to come, the day that will be all Shabbos. Because the seventh day, Shabbos, correlates with this 7,000th year, which is this period of you know, tranquility before the whole supernaturalizing of reality. Okay, That's with the resurrection of the dead and all the rest. Okay. So, so now with that in mind, let's go back to this. Let's just reset the stage for one moment. We've gotten the Torah. We've returned to Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge. Right? God is now teaching us about the fixing of that sin of stealing. Right? And now, what does he tell us? If you buy a Jewish bondsman, he shall work for six years, and the seventh he shall go free for no charge. In other words, what's it talking about at that point? Those six years are correlating with the, six, with the first 6,000 years. And the seventh year of him going free is talking about Mashiach. And why are we learning that right after we got the Torah while we're still on this level of 50? 
Because this was the liberation of all of mankind. This was going to be the messianic period if we could have kept this level before the Cheta Adam. Do you see the correlation? between the, Because we're like bondsmen in this world. We're like bondsmen in this world. But look what God gives us. He gives us so many good things. And you know what it says? It says that God keeps all the mitzvahs also. So in other words, God, God has to keep the mitzvahs of the master and the slave. So He doesn't deprive us of things. But it goes back to our premise that this world is still a work session. But then we get liberated from it. And He's hinting at the liberation that was going to take place at this period right here. So... So, so, so it, all, it all comes together. It all comes together. It all comes together. So just to, just to kind of tie it all up, we've got this, this escalator, this escalator of holiness that we've been on. Tubishva. It looks like you're dead from the outside, but the sap is going up on the inside. Right? Life is beginning. Then we've got Purim. It looks like God wasn't there. Now it turns out that He was there the entire time. It's an escalation of the theme of Tubishvat. Then we've got the next level, Pesach. Pesach is the open revelation of godliness. The tree, so to speak, blooms. It's green on the outside. God exists. So you say, okay, now I know that there's God. But then what happens next? Radba Omer. However deep you think it is, it's way deeper than that. Because Lagba Omer is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and the Zohar. That's all the secrets of the Torah. You'll never stop learning. You'll never stop knowing. And then what comes? Shvuas. Right? So that's the top of the period. That's the revelation of the blueprint. And that's the return of Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge. But, but, remember, before we ate from the tree of knowledge, we also had commandments. Work and guard the garden. Which is that this life is still a work session. That the ideal version of this life is the ideal work environment. Not the ideal vacation spot. And that's the thing that we have to keep on reminding ourselves. That what we're striving for is the ideal work environment. Right? Not the ideal vacation spot. And we're trying to be sold every single place we look. That this is a party and that this is a vacation. And then when we're rudely reminded that we're on the job, it causes tremendous confusion and spiritual pain. Because I thought I was there. And it turns out I'm someplace else. So we have to keep on reminding ourselves. You know, I always think of like, we're, like in baseball, we're batters at home plate. We have to understand that the pitcher is going to be throwing balls at us every single day. But if we know that that's the reality, we're standing at the plate and we go, okay, here comes this challenge. I'm hitting it out of the park. Here comes this challenge. I'm hitting it out of the park. And we have to understand that sometimes the balls get close to us. Just to really give you a very detailed baseball analogy right now, but the pitcher is not throwing at us. <laughs> right? In baseball, sometimes, unfortunately, the pitcher decides, I'm going to beam this guy. I'm going to actually intimidate him by actually hurting him with a fastball. Right? Like the other day, my son was watching, the pitcher actually threw it into the guy's stomach. Can you imagine? It wasn't a mistake. It was on purpose. So, but that's not God. God is, God is not actually throwing at us. It might get razor close. But those are, that's life, that's this world, those are tests. Okay. So, so we take all of that, we take all of that and we realize that after Shavuos, there's that free fall to the 17th of Tammuz, right? And that's not just because the circumstances of spirituality change. It, we experience that free fall because we take that energy that we've got from Shavuos and we use it to fix. We go out into the world and we fix. You see, there's such a critical point from the there's such a critical point from the, from, from the whole experience of the sin of the golden calf that we, you don't understand anything about the golden calf unless you know this detail. 
which is that God showed us a vision of Moshe dead. And then we went into this mass panic and we said, and we made the golden calf. It's not just that on our own, it's not just that on our own, we, we kind of like lost it. It was a test. It was a test. Which means that the tests don't stop in the Garden of Eden. And that's, that's what I was telling you in the name of Reb Shlomo. Reb Shlomo said, because we tend to equate the Garden of Eden and paradise. And Reb Shlomo said, if it was such paradise, then what was the snake doing there? So even at this state, after the Torah was given, right? Still you see that we got tests, which was us being shown, us being shown the coffin of Moshe, and God wanted to see, what are you going to do with that information? In other words, you see, the proper response, I think, and I, I don't mean to be flip, and I, I don't want this to sound disrespectful, God forbid, but the proper response, as far as I understand, at my current level of learning, is we should have said, oh no, Moshe, our teacher is, is Nifter, and cried, and maybe teared our clothes, and been so sad, but understood at the same time and I'm, I'm, I, I hesitate to put it in these words, but just I, I'm desperate to communicate. On the other hand, so what? Because that doesn't affect the ultimate reality that God is there and we're his children and this is the Torah and we've got the same connection with him no matter what. That it's not contingent on anything. This, this was the final test. This was the final test, which is you're in the Garden of Eden. You understand that you have to do some work. And now you have to understand, is my relationship with God contingent on anything? Or is my relationship with God absolutely, 100% absolute? If you understand that it's 100% absolute, no matter what happens, the Holocaust can happen. The Holocaust did happen. And look how we responded. It's unbelievable. A state of Israel. More yeshivas than ever. Alright, so it was the greatest tragedy. I wish it never happened. Believe me. But look at the magnificence of the Jewish people. That we actually got up and we responded. Within, within hours, within years. Do you know what's going on in Israel right now? I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it all of a sudden hit me. Like... What's going on if you look at the news? And I'm not talking about the political bad stuff. I'm talking about the great stuff that's going on in Israel right now. The economy is starting to rock. Not only that, but all of the sciences and the universities are starting to rock. Like in terms of the startups and the technologies and the Nobel Prizes and the, and the patents. I mean, it's going haywire. Israel, like if you look at a, you know, a chart, you know when something goes exponential? When all of a sudden it sort of like kicks up? That's what's going on in Israel. And you think to yourself, well, wait a second. If I took millions of Jews, right? Think about who the Jews are. Like, what God blessed us with in terms of levels of intelligence. If I took millions of Jews and I put them all together in one tiny spot, what's going to happen? Well... How about diseases are going to be cured? Fabulous new things are going to be invented. Breakthroughs are going to be made in every single field. But do you know why that, that's just sort of like starting to become like very clear that that's the reality right now? Because we've only had to recover from the Holocaust and build an entire nation out of the sand. We've been a little distracted. <laughs> Fight off enemies from every single side. We've been a little bit busy. But you know what? It looks like we turned the corner. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? We built an entire country surrounded by enemies. And now it's sort of like, you know what we finally have time to do? Think. We finally have time to do some thinking. It's an issue. Yeah, absolutely. But you know something? We're, we, when it comes to Israel, when it comes to Israel... There's always so much 
It's always such a dark cloud. You know what I mean? We're dealing with this issue and we're dealing with that issue and it's so painful. And all of a sudden, it's like the sun broke through the clouds a little bit for me in terms of kind of looking at it from another perspective. And it just made me so happy and so proud. You know? Good. So let's, let's end on this thought because that's, that's very important. So the question is, when things are good, how are we using the good times? And, and one of the big... Um, one of the big, you know, there's a, a section, actually there are two sections of clawas, translated as, as uh, curses, but maybe consequences might be a better, um, might be a, 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 a better translation. And um, it's in, uh, is it, Ki, Kitavo, I believe. Um, yeah. And uh, one, of the, one of the things is, is that, Hashem says to us, and this is a major point for Rebbe Nachman and, and, and Breslov. Um, i tell you where it is. Chapter 28 of Devarim, Deuteronomy, verse 47. I'll read it to you. Because you did not serve Hashem your God with, amid gladness, with, with happiness, and goodness of heart, when everything was abundant. That's what it says. Um, so, so, in other words, and again, this is getting back to this 40-day period when things are going right for us, between Shavuos and the Chet Egel. What are we doing when things are going right? And the answer is, our instincts tell us vacation mode. And if we remind ourselves that it's a work session, that this world is a work session, and that even before we ate from the Tree of Knowledge, when we were in Paradise, it was still a work session, because... Adam and Chava had the mitzvahs of guarding and, you know, and, 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 and planting in the, in, the, in, in the Garden of Eden even before we ate. So even paradise in its most exalted form was still a, a work session. God is saying, take that energy and actually bring it up to the next level. Use the good that you have in order to do more good. And that is the ultimate ecosystem. That's the ultimate spiritual ecosystem where you're receiving good and you're leveraging the good to do more good. So it's not even in the fixing mode anymore. Like, ah, whatever it is. But anything that needs to be fixed, by the way, gets fixed during that. But you're taking the good and using the good to do more good. So that's where we are right now. And Hashem should bless us that we should really see the final fixing. The ultimate liberation of the... Of the of the Jewish bonds person, right? Okay, for the good. Okay.